You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. I do, uh, you know, I do want to share one little thing. One thing God was just kind of reminding me of. And it was, it came at a moment when God was speaking to me when I was driving into Nova Scotia. And it was that nice, long, quiet drive, just me and God out there in the snow and scaring everybody because I'm driving 135 miles an hour, 135 kilometers an hour in the left lane filled with snow and I'm skidding through traffic and everybody else is terrified and I'm just walking with God. And uh, God's speaking to me throughout that process and reminding me and just talking to me about things in his own unique way that he does with me. And he said, you know, there are some things, David, that I only will do once. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you know, many times in church, we are not necessarily guilty of it, because it is also true. But sometimes we forget that there are some things that while God will, yes, His mercies are new every morning, and there's a lot of things that God will repeat, but there are also some things that He will only do once. Just once. Not because He hates you, not because anything like that, but there's just some things where the opportunity will come once, and if you, if you reach out and you grab it, it's yours, but if you don't, it's gone. For such is the cases found in uh, Matthew chapter 14. I'm not going to read all of it, but... Um, and I didn't give it to the crew in the back, so I, I can see them over here maybe panicking a little bit. Uh, but, but it goes through the story of how the, the seas were, were contrary to the ship and, and the disciples were in that ship and the, the waves were tossing and the winds were blowing. And, and Jesus was taking me to this passage of Scripture and He was saying, You know, when I, when I walked out on that water and I called out to my disciples... It was Peter that responded. It, it was Peter that took that step out of the boat. But he wasn't the only one in the boat. There were others there beside Peter that were seeing the same things that Peter was seeing. They were all handed the exact same circumstance. It wasn't different for one or different for another. It was all of them. They were sitting there. They were all in the same boat with the same storm in the same sea in the same wind, staring at the same Messiah. But one, one responded differently than all of the others. Now, God still used all of the others. But it just goes to show that there are going to be sometimes moments in your walk with God where God is going to sit there in that moment and it may not come in an easy time. It may come when the winds are blowing contrary to your life. To when the storm is raging and, and you're going to be sitting around your peers. Maybe in a church service, maybe at work, maybe wherever it might be. Whether you're there physically or just, just with them in spirit. But there's going to sometimes come a moment where Jesus steps out and says, Hey, if you have a little bit of faith, I want you to step out of the boat. And if you do this, you're going to step into the supernatural. And Jesus sat there and he said, you know that opportunity that I gave them, I only gave it to them once. I was never going to give it to them again. 
You can go cover to cover all over the Word of God. You will never see another moment ever at any point in the Word of God in which God showed up at any time, Old Testament or New Testament, and said, here's an opportunity to walk on water. That was a one-time thing. He said, here is your shot, disciples. Here is your moment. Here it is. No, the circumstances are not ideal. They are not what you would want them to be. It's not going to be an easy decision right now. But if you will trust me enough to step out of the boat, I promise you, I'm gonna, if you can focus on me, you're going to take a step out of that boat, out of that comfort zone, and you will step into the supernatural. It was Peter, the one person that responded. And so Peter has that lone claim in the Word of God where he can simply say, I was the only man that has ever walked on water. It was an opportunity that came once. It never came before. It never came after to any disciple. It didn't matter. Uh, you know, Paul with all of his great intelligence and all of his fiery oratory skills, that never came to him. It was a one-time opportunity. So I want to encourage you a little bit on this Sunday night that there are going to be moments in church, in services, where there are things that you may have been praying for for years Moments you have been waiting for. And God is going to sit there and He's going to walk through the altar and He's going to say, okay, here I am. I'm walking through the altar. And if you have the faith to step out, then I'm going to hand it to you. But there's no guarantee that He's going to start walking back through again. There's no guarantee that He's going to give it to you again. He may just say, well, I I came by and asked. I asked, do you want it? You didn't move. You never responded. You never, you never stepped out of that boat. You never reached out a hand. You never, you never called out to me. You never shouted. You never said anything. So there are times. There are times. So I, I give it to you as a challenge. Not as a brow beating. <laughs> I give it to you as a challenge to be sensitive in the Holy Ghost. And realize that there are going to be moments in your life. Moments in a service. Moments in a conference or wherever you are where God begins to move. And you need to understand that there may be something you've been praying for for years. That God's going to say, you know what, I know the winds are contrary right now. That it's not going to be easy. That, that yes, there's a storm going on in your life. The winds are blowing. And, and this is not what your instinct would be. Instinct screams, stay in the ship. Your gut says, I need to stay where it's safe. I need to stay in the comfort zone. But Jesus was saying, if you will have enough faith to override all of that instinct and just look me in the eye and trust me and just say, hey, I'll take a step out into the unknown. I'll take a step of faith. That that one-time shot could be the thing that changes your life. It could change the entire trajectory of everything you have ever gone through. You can imagine Peter now standing on the day of Pentecost full of fire and saying, yes, this, we are not drunk as you suppose because he was able to point back to moments like that and say, yes, I had a one-time experience with God that was entirely unique, that did not come to anybody else. There was nobody else on the day of Pentecost that could claim what Peter had claimed, that yes, I have in fact walked on water. The Bible says with many other words did he testify. Many other words did he preach on the day of Pentecost. And so I want to encourage you in that uh, manner today and to, to remind you that while God will do many things and will repeat many things, there are going to be some great things, powerful things, 
incredible life-changing things that God wants to do for you. But it may be an opportunity that He only floats right in front of you once. And He just says, here it is. It's yours if you'll take it. But the offer is going to move on somewhere else. So that is why it is always good in your spiritual walk with God to keep one leg already out of the boat. Keep one leg already just out of the boat. Just ready for it. Just waiting. So whenever that moment comes, you know, it was like that water, that pool, where all the, the, the sick and the wounded were waiting for it, and that, that water would be troubled. And it, it was just one moment. It was just one time. And, and, and if you got in, you got healed. God would touch you. But if you didn't, that was it. it was, that's it. That's, that's how it was. That was just how God was going to do it. He said, yes, I'm going to touch the water. I'm going to have that moment. And, and if you're in, you're in. And if you're out, you're out. Just that one second. You had to be there. Imagine going and taking a lunch break and coming back to learn, man, I waited 15 years, and if I had just waited five more minutes, I would have had it. That was, a great, that was one of the great mercies of Jesus when he showed up there at the pool because he started passing out second chances. He started passing out second chances. But he also gave us a reminder that there are some things, in fact, that he will only do so I do want to challenge you in that way to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and to say, you know what, when, when, when God is moving, there might be something that God wants me to do. There might be something that God is preparing to give me. There might be something I've been praying for, something I've been fasting for, but it might be something that God only floats by me once and just says, all right, here I am. We're on the sea. I'm calling to you. If you step out of the boat, you step into the supernatural. But if you stay in the boat, that's fine but you'll never experience this. So I want to challenge you in that way to be sensitive in the Holy Ghost and just to say, you know what? There are things that I can do, that I, that I can be, in fact, sensitive. Um, I'm going to move a little bit. I'm going to kind of merge my message and my mission stuff all at the same time. And, to, uh, and again, my purpose to, tonight is to encourage you uh, nothing I say tonight should be out, be taken outside of that frame. I, I do really want to encourage you because we, we live in a world filled with so much discouragement and uh, negativity and bad news. I just get sick of it after a while. I don't know about the rest of you, but after a while, I just get mad at it. I'm just like, I'm sick of hearing about what has gone wrong. Quit telling me the ways I'm going to fail and start telling me how this is going to work out and go right. That's my mentality and personality. It doesn't always work with some people, but <laughs> I, I am thankful for good godly leadership. Had a good meeting with Brother Cisco the other day, and uh, he's new to being my area coordinator and new into working with me. And I told him over lunch, I said, Brother Cisco, I said, I always appreciate it when you shoot straight with me. I said, other people, yes, it might hurt their feelings or, you know, they can't handle it or so on. They want you to beat around the bush. So that's fine for them. I said, for me, just tell it to me straight. Uh, don't hold it back. Just lay it all out there nice and bare. I said, that way I can know without a shadow of a doubt this is where we stand on the issue. I said, I don't want to walk away with any confusion or, or any doubts or any wonderings on, well, maybe he meant this or maybe he meant that. I said, you give it to me um, direct and authoritative and without any room for uh, any other translation. I just, boom, here it is. This is what it is. This is what I think. And, and we had a wonderful meeting. 
And so uh, I enjoyed that thing. But my, uh, my purpose today is to encourage you. I want to take you, first I want to begin by telling you one of the incredible stories that happened in Madagascar. One of the, it was, it was absolutely changing for the entire work, but also not just for the work, but for myself as well. And I do believe that in this story, what I'm going to tell, I do believe it will begin to plant something inside of your heart as well tonight. Uh, the, the, I, we are missionaries in two countries, the DR Congo and Madagascar as well. We have been serving in Madagascar and are beginning to uh, transition away from, from there and more into the Congo. There is a great need in the Congo, and uh, we are looking forward to what God, God has there. And uh, expecting more phone calls and business meetings here pretty soon, actually. And uh, it's amazing to me that as a missionary, it's, it's like the work never stops. It doesn't matter what time zone you're in. <laughs> it does not matter what time zone you're in. In fact, I was messaging a Malagasy uh, missionary and um, helping him out and stuff just the other day, and it was the middle of the night for me. It was 2 in the morning. It's, oh, but you just do what you got to do. But in Madagascar in the year 2020, we, we lost all ability to pretty much do everything, just like you probably did here, I imagine. I can't imagine that you, you were having too much fun in the year 2020. I don't know how much fun was had. Uh, staying at home got old very quickly. You go through your pandemic snacks pretty quickly, and you are left with nothing very fast, except for the 52 rolls of toilet paper that you bought and are probably still using to this day. saw people pulling out cartloads of toilet paper and I said if they need that in the next two weeks that is a hospital trip for sure not for COVID you've got a whole lot of other issues that you're gonna have to deal with almost immediately you did not buy food only paper and without one you don't need the other So again, use wisdom when it comes to life. That might have been one of those one-time opportunities from God. And he said, like, look at my people. This is ridiculous. I gave them a moment to stock up on food, and what'd they buy? Not food. They went out and bought the one thing they cannot eat. And will not need without food. There's a process there. Amen. So, so we were dealing with all kinds of things, uh, pr problems, issues in Madagascar. No church, no conference, no crusades. Now, on top of that, we also had a famine break loose. We had bubonic plague break out. We had cultural unrest, uh, racial tensions spiraling out of control, uh, political stuff going crazy. I think, I, I think it was... I'm a ballpark of 100 million U.S. dollars that were sent to the nation of Madagascar. I think 2 million of it got spent on COVID. The other 98 million went to places we don't know. Uh, there was a new coliseum built and uh, <laughs> right on one of their sacred grave sites. And uh, so the Malagasy's weren't happy, and we were just sitting there chuckling. And I said, well, now I know where my tax dollars went. I said, I should better get free admission because I've helped build the thing and pay for it. I should at least get in that stadium for free. After all, that was my tax money at work. And so we were dealing with a lot of issues. 
a lot of problems. It wasn't just COVID. Then you add on top all of the spiritual things that are going on within the church. People dealing with fear and, and people uh, dividing amongst one another and the disunity and, and so many different spiritual things that are going on. And so in Madagascar, it felt like a series of hammer blows just pounding us, just one thing after another. It, was, it, just, you know, it just felt like every day you would wake up and you would just say, okay, God, what, what disaster are we doing today? What disaster are we facing down today? What are we going to have to figure out today? And so we were dealing with a series, well, you could probably call safely a rolling crisis, where it just rolls into another crisis, and it rolls into another crisis, and it rolls into another crisis. And by the time we were uh, three months into this, we had pretty much forgotten about COVID because that was the least of our worries at that point. There was about three other things that were going to kill us quicker than COVID, and uh, we're much more <laughs> desiring of our attention, the greatest of which was a famine, a very, very real deal famine. Nothing that is, nothing like, oh, we've lost a little bit of food or it's not rain. We're talking a real famine that is wiping out the food and stock supplies everywhere we go. And so we were, we were dealing with a great series of issues and we, we were sitting there, and it's one, of, it's one of the most helpless feelings that you can have because you sit there and you watch as every tool in your toolbox is pulled away from you, and you, everything that you're used to doing is now gone. We were no longer able to have church. We were no longer able to fellowship together or anything. There was just it, such extreme tight restrictions. We had actually had curfew hours in place. I had to be in my house by lunchtime. I could not be out of the house by 12 o'clock. So I had from 6 in the morning to lunchtime to go to the market and back. And those were not just free wandering hours either. It was hours with a purpose. You had to be intentional with those hours. If they caught you just wandering around, uh, you, you could get fined. You could get sentenced to public service, sweeping out the sewers, and so on. And in a third world country or any country, that is not a thing you want to have to do. And so we were, we were very wary of all the things that were going on, and we were facing what seemed like an entire mountain uh, range of impossibilities. It seemed like everything that we were trying to do, trying to push forward, we could not go online. Most of our people don't even have electricity, uh, much less money for Internet. So going online was not really an option. And so we were sitting there, and we were trying to figure out, well, what, what do we do? What do we do in this situation? How, what, what can we possibly do now? We can't go online. We can't, you know, we just don't have those abilities. They're just not there. They're not present. We can't meet together in any numbers almost at all. We're just entirely reduced to nothing. And we, we sat down and we began to think about it. And we said, you know what? There is one thing that we still can do. And it is probably our most powerful weapon that has still not been taken from us. And that is that we can begin to pray. We can simply begin to pray. We say we, we, we can't gather together, we can't sing, we can't preach, we, ha we can't have conference, we can't have crusade. We're, we, we, we've been kicked to our knees, so to speak, but you know what? While we're on our knees, let's just spend a little time in prayer. You know, yes, yes, we, we got pushed to our knees, and it was almost ironic in a certain sense because it felt like the devil himself was orchestrating some of this mess that was going on in Madagascar, and it was, it was difficult to watch, and it was difficult to experience, and it, 
It truly did feel like you were getting kicked to your knees. Someone just came up and just kicked you right behind the leg and, and you just fell to your knees and it, it was painful and it wasn't easy and it was, it, it was hard sometimes. But then again, like I said, we figured, you know what, while we are on our knees, let's at least go spend some time in prayer. And there's some great irony in that in that uh, it, it through, through Satan's own efforts to... Uh, disrupt the flow, disrupt the revival, disrupt the work of God, he actually wound up positioning us for an incredible revival. Because while, yes, we say, yes, I feel like the devil has me on kick to my knees. Well, you know what? That's where the church needs to be, is on its knees. So, so while, yes, we were having some difficulties and problems, the church decided, you know what we're going to do is, we're going to simply start praying together. It's... It's, it, it, it doesn't seem like a whole lot, but if we can do that. We can still do that. We can still send one clarion call out there into that world and just let, let the whole world know that, that while, yes, you have stripped away everything from us and we've lost our ability to do so much, you still have not silenced our voices. That, that we can still pray, we can still get on our knees, we can still, we can still spend some time together with God and, and we can still somehow through this process, we don't know how it's all going to shake out, we don't know how it's all going to work out, but one thing we do know is that if we can just spend a little time with Jesus on our knees, that God is going to carry us through, that we don't always understand it. And let me tell you this, there's going to be plenty of times in your life Plenty of times when you're in your walk with God, when you can look God directly in the eye and you can ask Him why. Why did this happen? Why did this go the way that it went? And God is not going to give you the answer that you are looking for. But what He is going to do is He's going to look you directly back in the eye and He's going to say this is His answer. He's going to look you in the eye and simply say, just trust me. Just trust me. No, you don't know why it had to happen. No, I'm not going to tell you why it had to go this way. It wasn't easy watching some of our senior pastors die of COVID. It, it was very difficult to put them in the grave uh, unceremoniously without being able to pay the proper respects to these men who had sacrificed everything for 50 some years now. Men that had gone back to the very beginning of the work that just stood there in absolute boldness and faith as young men when there, when there was no great numbers behind them. We number over a quarter of a million saints and over 1,100 pastors and churches. But it was so hard to watch as those elders were lowered into the ground. They, they stood there defiant against uh, persecution. They stood there defiant against criticism. And they did not have a quarter of a million people in their corner shouting with them. It was just ten. It was just twelve. It was just a handful of them against the entire world. There were men of great faith. There were men who, with passion who fought it out to the very last moment. Who, who carried on walking with God through thick and thin. And so yes, it was hard as missionaries to sit there. It was gripping. You could sit there and your heart was just torn to pieces as you watched as COVID would strike these elderly men down and we would have to lay them down. We could not have normal funerals. We could not have the normal things 
Uh, and th- th- that's a very big deal in Madagascar, paying, giving honor and respect to the elders. And, and so the Malagasy church was feeling it, and the missionaries were feeling it. And it was hard watching it as one by one our elders were being laid low by COVID. And they were just sitting there, and we watched as they were being laid into their, into their uh, graves. And they were being put into the tombs, and they were being wrapped up and, and, and put into their caskets, and they were being tucked away silently and unceremoniously and it, it was difficult watching it. You ask God why and he would always just reply with that one word just trust me. Just trust me. It's going to be okay. Just trust me. You begin to watch as the food stores begin to run out all across the island Things were growing harsh. We're sitting there going, God, why? He would just reply, just trust me. I know it doesn't make sense to you right now, but I am doing something. I am not sitting back. I am not just watching this go down. I am not just afflicting you for no reason. If you will just trust me going to see what I am going to do. The word went out all across the island that at 7 o'clock, with no exceptions for any reason, did not matter who you were, did not matter if you were an elected officer, did not matter if you were district superintendent, did not matter if you were appointed, did not matter if you've been in church 50 years or 5 minutes. He said it's 7 o'clock, everybody. Everybody gets on their knees. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter anymore. All that stuff is stripped away. It's meaningless now. Because here we are. We only have one thing we can do. And that's pray. And so pray we must. Because pray is all we can do. There's no more crusades. There's no more church services. There's no more revivals. It's, it's all gone. It's obliterated. It's gone. We're, we're losing people left and right from one thing after another. We're sitting there one hammer blow after another hitting the work. We're praying at 7 o'clock. Don't miss it. Let me tell you something. Something began to happen all across that island. Something began to stir all across that island in the hearts and in the souls of over a quarter of a million people that we're sitting there as all of a sudden the Holy Ghost began to grip our spirits in a way that it had never gripped us before. It would get so intense, it would get so interesting in that, in that moment where, where, where God would begin to change the atmosphere of the room that you were in before you even got to your knees in prayer. There's something that would begin to happen as the time would tick by sitting there in quarantine and isolation. Moment after moment, day after day, we would sit there and faithfully go to our knees in prayer at 7 o'clock. And eventually it would begin to change where all of a sudden at 6.45, as you're sitting there and you're finishing dinner and you're you're washing the dishes and you're you're getting ready for that 7 o'clock hour, 
and you weren't doing anything spiritual at all. There, it, it wasn't there. You're, you're, you're keeping an eye on that clock. You know it's coming soon, but you're not doing anything spiritual. And all of a sudden, you could feel the Holy Ghost beginning to stir inside of that little apartment me and my wife were in. And by 6.55, you could feel the power of God just on full display. And by 7 o'clock, when we would get on our knees on that tiny little couch, doing all that we could do, we, I can tell you we were not praying in English for very long. It was almost immediately that you were ushered into the holiest of holies. And you were sitting there now going from glory to glory. It wasn't very long before God was saying, If you'll just trust me one more day, one more hour. If you'll just pray with me a little bit longer. If you'll just make it today to that 7 o'clock hour, I will show you. What I can do. It took the spirit of fear. Ripped it right out of the heart of every single saint. Right out of the heart of every pastor. It completely annihilated it. And it totally changed the trajectory of the work in Madagascar. We had been suffering mightily in that time. We had been dealing with many great losses. But God began to do something in that moment. Our pastors decided what we are going to do. We are going to do what has already been done before. You see, the church in the book of Acts was not in fact born in a revival meeting. It wasn't born in a general conference. It wasn't born in a crusade. It wasn't born in a church service. It was actually born in a prayer meeting. Both in Jerusalem and at Azusa Street. There's a pattern in how God likes to work. And I'm not preaching against conferences or crusades or church or any of that. I love all of that. But you've got to understand that when all of that stuff is being stripped away, that our most powerful weapon still remains. That our most powerful weapon still remains. And if we can get a red-hot prayer meeting going, we can have a world-shaking revival still even after everything has been taken away from us, even after we have lost the ability to do everything else, uh, for better or for worse, no matter what your uh, political uh, alignment might be on that, and I'm not here to discuss that in any means today, but you've got to understand that when everything was stripped away, our most powerful weapons still remained. And we begin to act upon that, and we begin to deploy that with greater frequency than we ever had. It was our only weapon, but it was our greatest weapon. And so at 7 o'clock, we would begin to pray, and we would begin to feel the power of God shake that entire island. And let me tell you something. When the Bible says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There's something that begins to happen when just a couple people say, you know what, I'm going to make in my mind that I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start worshiping God. I'm going to start uh, magnifying God. It doesn't take a massive amount of people. You know what, we were confined. They said, you can't have more than five people. And I said, well, you know what, that still gives us plenty of clearance room scripturally. We're all right. God said, I only need two or three. I don't need 15,000. I love 15,000, but I don't need 15,000. If two or three will just have enough faith to say, you know what, I'm willing to step out of the boat. There's an opportunity here. There's something I can do. It may never come by again, but I have enough faith to reach out and say, here I am, God. 
Use me. I will do something for you. It might not be a great thing. It might just be a small thing. But God, if you will allow me just one moment, I'll step out of the boat. I'll do something different. I'll get past my comfort zone. I'll get past what is normal. I'll go past all of that. I'll just spend a couple of moments with you. And I'll begin to step out of that boat. And when you step out of that boat, you will step into the supernatural. Let me tell you right now that our pastors on the way to the marketplace, they would, just, they would begin to say, you know what I'm going to do on the way to my marketplace. I'm going to take a quick little detour down this side alley. And I'm going to go talk to two or three saints in this little house over here. Yes, I am still on the way to the marketplace. Aha. And I'm going to pray for five minutes over here. I'm going to worship God with three minutes over here. I only have time to read one psalm over here with this group of people. But we're going to do whatever we can to keep pushing the work of God forward. It might not be the great sprint that we are used to. It's not even a walk. We're crawling right now. But we are going to keep moving forward at any cost. And at any price, and if all we can do is crawl one inch a day, then crawl one inch a day we shall. Because we will continue to remind Satan that we may be on our knees, but that is our most powerful position. That, uh, that is our most deadliest position. When we have been knocked to our knees, we are able to be used in a greater capacity than we ever have been before. So yes, devil, let the persecution come. Let the hardships rain down. Yes, we're sitting here on our knees. But we are about to show you the great flaw in your plan, Satan. We are about to unleash one of the greatest revivals you have ever seen. And our people would begin to do it. And our saints on their own initiative. And let me tell you this. God loves your initiative. Something happens when you start doing it without being prodded. I don't give altar calls, by the way. I just open up the altar. You come on your own initiative. Something happens when you do things on your own initiative. And our saints decided, you know what? Pastor can't make it to all of us. But we can still have two or three together. And we can still sing together. And we can still worship God together. And they would begin to do that and the Holy Ghost would begin to move. And they would be bursting out speaking in tongues. And the neighbor next door would be sitting there and he would say, What's going on over here? And they would say, Well, we're having a little church meeting. And we would say, Well, my church has been closed. Can I come in? Can I, can I come in? We still haven't hit the limit. Yeah, sure, come on in. Come on in. And before you know it, our saints are over here praying their neighbors through to the Holy Ghost because they heard them having a little bit of church in their room. They heard them having a little bit of church in the kitchen. Let me tell you, in the year 2020, with everything that went wrong, with all of the impossibilities that we were facing, with all of the issues, with, with, with everything that could go wrong, because we had gotten to that point where we understood that if I can just spend a few minutes on our knees, let me tell you in the year 2020, in this position right here, we had over 14,000 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. 
It did not happen in a church building. It did not happen in a great crusade. It did not happen in a great conference. It happened when just a couple of people made up in their mind. I'm going to take some initiative on my own. No, I can't get the man of God at my house every single day. But you know what I can do? I do have a relationship with God on my own. And I can sit there and I can gather two or three of my friends together. And I can begin to worship God. And God can still use that. There's a great difference between what King David and King Saul did when confronted with great problems, great tragedy. Both David and Saul at one point in their life were separated through a series of events from the man of God in their life. At one point they were separated from the prophet the voice of God in their life. Their reactions tell who had a relationship with God. Because Saul wound up turning to witchcraft. David fell on his knees and encouraged himself in the Lord. There's no prophet nearby to say, Thus saith the Lord, David. There was no, there, the preacher wasn't there. The man of God, that voice of God that he was used to hearing, that guiding force in his life was now separated through this event. But David had a relationship with God. He said, you know what, I know, and I'm not downsizing the role of a pastor or any ministry like that. Don't take that away from here. It's not what I'm saying. But David understood the value of also, in addition to having a man of God, having a relationship with God. So he fell on his knees and encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, I don't have the time. The prophet's not around. I'm not able to get to him right now. And, and COVID began to reveal that because the men of God were separated from the saints. Everybody was locked in their own rooms. And you could tell there were some that, well, they didn't go the direction they should have. And there were some that encouraged themselves in the Lord. There were people that actually came out stronger in the year 2020 before they went in because they had a relationship with God and they said you know what no I can't get to the man of God in my life right now we're all under quarantine we're all locked up my wife and I spent 118 days in quarantine by the way we didn't get the two week deal <laughs> we got the three and a half month deal but you learn in those moments that I have to encourage myself in the Lord. That I have to take a little bit of initiative on my own. I'm going to start wrapping it up pretty soon as I actually come to my scriptural text. <laughs> I do feel a great burden in this place. I do feel that God wants to do something. I was feeling it in the music, in the worship, in the praise. God is preparing to unleash something in this church. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here. I'm saying that because I felt it. That is why I've said the things I have said tonight is leading to the altar call. Leading to, to this moment. Because I do believe that God wants to do something. And I'm not going to sit there and, and, uh, and, and read all the scriptures uh, because I need to hasten on. I still have to keep driving. <laughs> I've got another hour or two. I've got to finish out my eight-hour tour of New Brunswick today. 
Beautiful district. Still haven't seen a single moose yet, so I'm kind of disappointed, but praying there's still hope. The sun will rise tomorrow. <laughs> but in Judges, Gideon was sitting there, and he was talking to God, dealing with God. God was preparing him for what was coming ahead. And there's something you've got to understand with, with Gideon, and that is that there's a great irony almost in how God was treating Gideon. Because many times when we go to God, we don't expect the Gideon treatment. But it happens. Every time when he started going to God and discussing the army, he lost men. The situation for Gideon was statistically getting worse every time he talked to God. That's not the reaction you would probably expect in your prayer life. If every time I got on my knees, it got worse. Got your attention now. <laughs> That's not exactly the situation we would expect. But that was the case for Gideon. Numerically, his odds of survival were going from a small chance to an impossible chance. It went from you have an army to, well, you have just a couple hundred men. And not only that, Gideon, but now, in that final little moment with God, he said, one more thing, Gideon, you can turn in your weapons. You're not going to be using those. He had taken Gideon's army through this process, and he had reduced it down to, a, to just a big old band. Not a weapon amongst them. Not much of an army anymore. You might say they were almost they were like a giant church choir. <laughs> it is what he had reduced them from. He was not doing this because he hated Gideon. He was doing this because he was going to prove to Gideon without a shadow of a doubt that when the victory came, it was going to come from God and God alone. There are going to be moments in your life where the victory will come, but it's not going to come through addition. It may come through subtraction. Where God says, okay, the victory's going to come, but I'm going to remove some things. I'm going to take some things away from you, some things that are holding you back. The Bible says Paul encourages us to lay aside every sin and wait. The sin part's easy for us. That's very easy. We, woo, we get in the altar, take, forgive me my sins, God, wash me in your blood, cover me in your anointing. Boom, sins are gone, wiped them out. It's the weights. That's the hard part. Because the weights are not sins. We can try to justify the weights sometimes. We can begin to justify that and say, well, it's not a sin. No. No, it's not. But if you want to run the race, if you want to win, if you want to come out ahead, if you want to be on top of this thing, it's going to take more than just not sinning. There's some weights we've got to start laying down. Sometimes your victories will not come through addition, but your victories come through subtraction. And God, in the middle of all of this process, decided... I am going to equip you with two things, Gideon. He said, I'm going to give you a 
a trumpet, and I am going to give you a torch. When you boil that down, it boils down to two things, a fire and a noise. He said, Gideon, I have equipped you with a fire and with a noise. And if you will have enough faith to show up to the battlefield, I'm going to take care of the rest. That is not the only time in the Word of God that we have been equipped with a fire and a noise. It is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and 3. And it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with all one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. On the day of Pentecost, God walked into that little prayer meeting, and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, here's your fire, here's your noise. Now go walk to the battlefield and watch what I can do. If you have enough faith, if you have just a little bit of faith to say, you know what? I am equipped. I have the Holy Ghost. And although it does not make sense, it defies all military logic and convention to minimize your army to just a couple of hundred men. It, it makes no rational sense whatsoever to, to trade in your weapons for what amounts to just a, a trumpet and a torch. It, it, it defies all logic. And at some point, I believe Gideon was sitting there, or his men as well, probably asking some questions that you may have asked God and said, God, why? And it always comes back to that same old line. Just trust me. Just trust me. As we stand all across this place, I want to encourage everyone in this place today that if you can trust God, if you can begin to summon the faith, the altars are open. And if you have enough faith to step out on your own initiative, I do believe there are some things that God is sitting here saying, I want to do for you tonight. That I want to give it to you tonight. But if you want it, you've got to take a step out of the boat. You've got to take a step out of the boat. You can't just stay inside the boat and experience the supernatural. You've got to just take that moment and say, God, I don't always understand why, but I have enough faith right now to know that I can start taking a step in, out of this boat. And yes, the winds may, may be contrary to the ship. The, the storm may be tossing the sea. But if you can just take a few moments in the altar and say, God, I'm here on my own initiative. I wasn't, nobody forced me to come here. Nobody begged me. I just came on my own free will. I'm here, God, just to spend a little bit of time with you. I'm just here, God, to, to spend a little bit of time with you, oh God. And, and, and to remind you, oh Lord, that, that, I, that I'm still willing to step out of the boat. That, that I still do trust you. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.